0: Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, episode 450. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so thankful that you are here to join us today. I'm also thrilled to introduce our guest, Perry Marshall. Perry is the author of 80-20 Sales and Marketing, The Ultimate Guide to Google AdWords. Listeners, you have heard me talk before about my experiences with Google AdWords, or bad experiences, I should say. Hilarious. You've just been all over and making such waves, helping entrepreneurs. I can't wait until you can share some of your greatness with the listeners. So, welcome.
1: It's great to be here, and... Yeah, I appreciate being on your podcast. And, you know, you told the story about your Google AdWords tale of woe from way back when. And I remember one time I got this email from a guy and he goes something like, I turned on my AdWords campaign and I came in the next day and they'd spent $2,700. And like, I got nothing and they won't give me a refund and there's no way to get the money back. And then he like... He types, I, I will read, study, and apply Perry's book before doing Google AdWords. I will read, study, and apply. Uh-huh. You know, like he copy-pasted it you know, a bunch of times. And it's like, well, yeah, there's this funny way how spending your own money on advertising tends to learn you.
0: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I told you that I hadn't done it anymore now that I'm thinking back because I think I just decided to block that little segment of time out of my head. I mean, I was too scared to tell (laughs) my, he's not my husband, but I was too scared to tell him about how much money had just gone out. It was $800 in a day. I mean, that was more than a month of rent for us and we were already struggling, but it was because at that time I had an e commerce shop where I was selling scrapbooking supplies.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: I think that's all I had put was scrapbooking supplies. Oh dear. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I get can tell you I didn't get any sales. I didn't get any leads. Like my click-through rating was <laughs> to describe it in its very best. Yeah. So I do believe I got a little bit more specific, but the specificity I realized was really necessary. And as my businesses – well, that one ended up crashing and burning. But as the new businesses come and grown, I've realized that specificity – It's so necessary in every part of my business, like knowing who my ideal clients need to be, who my ideal team members are, like every single part. Do you see that a lot?
1: Yes. In fact, you can take online advertising as a metaphor for the way the whole world has changed because back when something like Google AdWords was new, most advertising was just this big, giant shotgun blast. And what people started learning how to do with the serious advertising platforms was sniper fire and rifle shots, you know, like really super specific. And what's happened as the whole world has evolved is that is how everything is now. Everything is hyper laser specific. And so, like, I was doing a workshop not too long ago, and a guy said, um, Well, you know, I have a really big market because I sell food and everybody in in the whole world could buy my product. And I said, Oh, no, (laughs) like, (laughs) I I don't even know what you sell. But I guarantee you, it's not for everybody. In fact, you know, not only am I sure it's not for six out of the 7 billion people, I'm pretty sure it's not for you know, 6.99 out of 7 billion people. And you're going to have to narrow that way down. In in fact, I don't know what the guy sells, but I bet you a dollar that it's like, it's for a thousand people.
0: Right. I mean, you put gluten, milk, nuts, dairy, seafood, pork, you know, you just cut out a lot of dietary restrictions for all around the world. Well, right. So it's definitely not, for everybody.
1: His product might be kind of expensive. Right. Well then it's only for the Whole Foods crowd. You know? Right. I mean it, it just goes on and on, right? And so, yeah, like and I mean this is what eighty twenty is about, is that marketing is first and foremost an elimination and disqualification process long before it's a convincing people process. It's eliminate, 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 and eliminate some more. And then you start to try to get some traction, start to try to convince somebody to buy from you. But it has to be the right person to begin with. And so like the mistake that you just described, so you bid on the word scrapbooking supplies. And that is a very sensible thing for a beginner who doesn't know what they're doing to do it. It makes perfect sense to a beginner, Mm -hmm. right? But It actually, like if you're going to really sell something, you're going to have to go a hundred times more specific than that, like scrapbooking left-handed scissors, or now I don't know scrapbooking terribly well, but, or, you know, like those little rings that you put on the...
0: You know what hit off really good was, now it's all coming back to me, but Girl Scouts scrapbooking paper for brownies, you know, that's what really started... Hitting it because the moms who were making the books they wanted the supplies that were specifically for whatever level of Girl Scouts their sweethearts were at, you know, or even mm. for the boys with the Boy Scouts.
1: And that's how you actually get traction online. And one of the things that I've always adhered to is never try to sell to someone that you haven't already been yourself.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So every time i've been really successful at selling something i had already been the person that i was selling to and i had walked a mile in their shoes i had been that person already and then i could read them a page in their diary and not only just kind of generally tell them what their life was like no i could be like stephen king you know i could give them the you know excruciatingly almost embarrassingly intimate account of their life where they're going, oh my goodness, is this guy been hiding in my closet? That's when you're going to be successful selling to people because whatever you're appealing to, it's a niche that nobody scratched for you. Like, Hey, wait a minute. You know, there's this elephant in the room. How come nobody's acknowledging it? Hey, you know we got to solve this problem before we can go on with everything else. And that's really characterized everything I've been successful doing.
0: Oh, I love that. And I actually have a question about it then. I have been working on a book. The listeners have been hearing me talk about the book for two years. And by working, I mean, I have a Google Doc started, but it's I'm two years into the process and it's nowhere near complete. The book is called Chronic Idea Disorder, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Overcoming Idea Overwhelm.
1: Well, you have been that person. <laughs> and you're selling to that person. Yes, yes.
0: But the reason why the book isn't finished is because I have chronic idea disorder and I'm still struggling. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, One of my great mentors, Cliff Ravenscraft, actually said, you are not ready to finish this book yet because you don't know how to control it yourself. So not to get you into like a over the podcast airwaves debate with Cliff, but I'd love to know how you feel about that statement. Like, do I really need to know how to cure it? Or can I just share some of the strategies that have worked for me this far and push forward? Because I've heard also that we often write the book that we most need ourselves.
1: Oh, I agree with that.
0: Or is it the book that we most needed, right?
1: Well, need, needed, Some of the problems we write about, we have truly overcome them, and some of them we're just in an ongoing process of trying to overcome. But I would say that when you get the book to where the book is done, then you have sufficiently conquered your idea addiction to the point where, well, the book went from being an idea to an actual reality. And if I can write this book and get it published, then you can conquer your idea issue. And really this thing about ideas is 80/20. It's you know the 20% of ideas that are good versus the 80% of ideas that really aren't that good. Mm-hmm. If you could just imagine it's 100 years from now and we're all dead and you know there's some wikipedia page or some encyclopedia entry or some historical thing or some deal in a museum about what it was that we did, well, I think most of us would be happy if we were actually famous for one solid thing, right? Right. I mean, most people aren't really famous for anything. Mm -hmm. You know, you bury them, and, you know, the nieces and nephews remember them, and the grandkids, and that's kind of it, right? Right. So if you're remembered for, like, one good solid thing then God bless you, man. You did well. Well, chances are that whatever that thing is going to be, it's already in your life somewhere. I mean, maybe you actually did it or maybe you're still trying to do it. But if you put that in perspective, like, well, okay, I could have a million ideas, but I love ideas too. Like, believe me, I'm probably more like you than not. Okay. But still, there's just a handful of ideas that I'm going to be known for when I'm gone. And if I can just pound those stakes really, 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 really deep into the ground and get those out there, the nice thing that it does is it actually makes room for the other ideas to birth. So since you're talking about books, Let me give you an example of how this works in books. Since a book is a collection of ideas, right? Yeah. So I get this friend who is a fiction writer, and she put out several fiction books, and then she co-authored a fiction book with a much more famous author, and she hit the charts and she became a New York Times bestseller. And because she got that heightened level of visibility, people started going back and reading her older books. Okay. Now, if you're an author, it's very possible that you feel like your first book is, you know, a little masterpiece, but it may not have ever gotten of attention. But basically book four brought a whole bunch of readers to book one. Okay. Now, the order that this all happens doesn't really matter, okay? It could be book one that hits the charts or it could be book six that hits the charts. But the point is, is if you have one idea that gets famous, then getting some traction for your other ideas is a lot easier, but you have to make that one idea famous. Now, that's gonna be a little bit boring. Now, so when I get famous for Google AdWords, Sort of, kind of happened by accident. Now, if you'll bookmark this thought, I'll tell you about the accident part, which wasn't really an accident. It's an interesting story, so we could circle back. But, yeah,
0: I'm so intrigued. I'm bookmarking it.
1: But, like, I kind of stumbled into it, and uh, somebody opened a door for me, and I took it. Well, it took off, and I had the sense to realize, okay, Perry, if you can just be known for this one thing that will open as many doors for you as you could ever want, okay? And so Google AdWords was peas, porridge, hot, peas, porridge, cold, peas, porridge in the pot, nine days old. Some like it hot, some like it cold. Some like it in the pot, nine days old. It was like any, every possible imaginable way of beating the Google AdWords drum, I did that. And I probably five, six, seven, eight years, I did that, okay? And finally, it was like, okay, I have pounded this thing deep enough into the ground that I don't think anybody else is going to displace me. So I'll divert my attention to other things and I'll go do other things. Well, I'm, I'm really glad that I did that. Now, was it kind of boring and repetitive to be doing that? Yes, but at least I was known for something. And so what happened was people would come to me for Google AdWords and I would help them with that. And because I helped them with that, They would trust me, okay? And then they're like, okay, so what else can you help me with? Well, I knew all kinds of other marketing stuff. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Like, I could have done a marketing seminar, well, probably did, you know, for three days without even talking about Google AdWords. But as long as I was known for that one thing, like, I mean, this is a basic principle of branding. Right. Like, people's brains only have so much room for names of things so like soft drinks coca-cola and then there's seven up and dr pepper and a couple other ones pepsi well people only have so much room in their head for stuff right and you want to occupy the number one position and that is the most important thing if you occupy the number one position of some then you own a piece of real estate in people's brains and then you can take them where you want to go. And so the way I've harnessed that is my loyal followers, they've followed me down all kinds of rabbit trails and engaged in all kinds of ideas. And Google AdWords isn't really even what I do anymore, but it's okay. I'm known for something and that's good enough. And so you know, it's kind of ironic, but you know, if if you want room to exercise a million ideas, just pound one into the ground really, really well.
0: Oh, I'm so loving that. And a comparison that I've used in the book and even here on the podcast is that I feel like I have an idea graveyard in my backyard. It's like a whole yeah. bunch of shallow holes dug with plastic spoons. Mm. But what I want to do is take the backhoe out and dig the hole to the other side of the earth. Like a little kid, you know how we used to want to dig the hole of China or wherever was on the other side of the world from you whenever you were a little kid. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to do with chronic idea disorder. But I see it in the other side of my business as well. I mean, I get referrals all the time for how I make the majority of my money. I mean, the 80% is infusion software. But when hmm. those clients find out I do other work, then it opens up a whole new world. But that's not necessarily what I'm advertising. But then just like you said, I mean, that's the uh, no like, and trust factor. They have grown to know, like, and trust me for what I did in Infusionsoft. So now, Kim, what else can you do? Right. I don't do Google AdWords.
1: (laughs) Well, right. And once you've established real trust, I mean, people aren't dumb. They know that if they can trust you in one area, they can trust you broadly. So, Like, I mean, I've had people ask me for marriage advice and legal advice and all this kind of stuff. You just have to be smart enough to know when they're asking you something that you're not qualified. Like, I cannot answer your legal questions. I'm really sorry. You're going to have to talk to somebody that knows something about that, you know. And, And, of course, there's always a temptation to kind of overstep your bounds. But, you know, if you're good at infusion stuff, you're probably good at five other things. So that's fine. That's how you build a reputation in the world. And in fact, you can use credibility that you've established in one field to bridge over into another field. I've done that with science and evolutionary biology. I have a book called Evolution 2.0, and as unlikely as it might sound, I actually have been able to use my street cred as a business person to have influence in the scientific community. And now that particular bridge is a really hard one. Like it's probably one of the hardest bridges you can try to build. Right. Because scientists and marketers are like, you know, opposite ends of a spectrum. But I'm just saying it it illustrates the point that that can be done. And so, yeah, like don't neglect the date that brought you. And yeah, if you're an idea person, I'm sure you're bored by the usual thing that everybody knows you for. And yeah, I, I get it that, you know, you want to spread your wings and you want to expand it out, but there's a right way and a wrong way to do that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Is there any such thing to you as being too specific?
1: Well, you can be in a niche that's so narrow, like even though you're number one and you own it, it's not really big enough to be meaningful. That's certainly right the case you know like those girl scout green scrapbooking papers like well if that's the only thing you did i don't think you'd make much of a living with it right but the whole point of that story if i understand you correctly is that that's like the little crack in the sidewalk where you could get your little plant to grow and oh absolutely it was a a start
0: oh and it, it did exactly like we were just talking about too you know they came in because they were looking for that one type of paper Mm -hmm. And then they saw, oh, my gosh, look at everything else. And all of a sudden, it's like 100 things in the cart. So it was fantastic. It worked really well. I am curious. Has there ever been a rabbit hole that you went down that you wish you hadn't?
1: (laughs) Well, probably three-fourths of the things that I've ever tried didn't work. So, I mean, for example... In 2011, we started a company called Fanalytics, and it was a software as a service company. And what we would do is if people had Facebook followers and they had handshake permissions from their Facebook followers, we would go and extract all this information from their accounts and give them all this demographic and psychographic data. And it was kind of like what Facebook Audience Insights is now, except that was seven years ago. And we had all these people say, wow, that's really awesome. So we spent all this money and we hired software developers and we put that out there. And then when it was finally in a sellable form, nobody would write a check for it. Like even though they said it was awesome. And I learned something from that. And I learned that if you're going to go start something like that, you should go to the people that think it's a cool idea and say, all right, so I'll give you a 60% discount on this if you'll write a check for it today. And it'll be ready in a year or it'll be ready in six months. And if they won't write a check for it, you don't have something.
0: Right, I can totally see that.
1: That would have saved me an immense amount of money. And of course, you know as well as I do that we only have so much resources to start so many things and there's double cost to anything we start. There's the cost of doing it, but there's the cost of not doing something else, right?
0: Oh my gosh, yes.
1: You think it's going to work and then it doesn't and then you're sitting there in the aftermath and you're like, oh man, now I got to clean up this. I got a machine gun in the wreckage, you know? So uh uh-huh. So that's a really strong tip to Get somebody to write you a check up front. Now, that's always scary because most people are afraid. When you get right down to it, they're terrified of what happens when their beautiful idea finally hits the pavement and goes splat. And most people will avoid like crazy like, the gritty, bone-crunching reality of finding out that this idea is dead. And so they'll just keep kicking the can down the road, and they'll keep trying to, you know, polish it to perfection, and, well, it's not ready yet. Well, you know, that can go on for 10 years, and... Yeah, it can. What you need to do is fail fast. Yep. How fast can we figure out that this idea is a dud and scrap it? And... This becomes a very healthy discipline because you learn not to get enamored with the ideas. You learn to get get enamored with the execution of the idea. Now, I understand that there's a whole spectrum of personality types, and some people are in the realm of pure ideas, and they generate lots and lots of them. And some people are bricklayers, and they're not... You know, they're just building a wall with bricks and that's all that they want to really think about. And then you have everything in between. So I get that. But if you're an entrepreneur and you're not just an idea generator, you have to care about the execution.
0: Yeah. I am married to a video game developer. (laughs) Okay. Who also has chronic idea disorder, although Mm. he might not admit it. Okay. But... He comes up with game ideas and starts sketching. Mm. But to this day, he has yet to actually design one whole game. But uh, I have to give him a little bit of credit here. I mean, he's been outside of the house working as well, not just inside our home working on his game full time. I mean, I've had the luxury. Sometimes it doesn't feel like a luxury. I'm sure you may understand that of working for myself for six years. Mm -hmm. But... When 80% of his time is spent outside of the house and the 20% that is in the house is like insane with children, it's just not going to get done. But it's just amazing watching all these ideas. And he actually did start a focus group on Facebook with a whole lot of people that he knows where he he will throw ideas past just to see if they're even interested in it. Mm-hmm. You know, Because what's the point in putting a game out and spending years working on a game if it's not going to happen? I have to tell you, a rabbit hole that I went down, also Facebook, Facebook actually took care of that rabbit trail for me. I was chasing what I thought other people were doing on courses on how to use social media or how to grow your social media following. Mm. I didn't care. Let me just put it that way. I didn't care about growing your Facebook audience. And I know that might sound a little bit harsh. I just really didn't. But I thought I needed to have a course on how to do it. Mm. And I spent two or three weeks creating all the videos, editing them, making them look great. And then Facebook redesigned their whole platform. Oh. I was like, oh. And then after that, actually, my husband looked at me and he's like, you know, you sounded like that teacher from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. (laughs) Bueller. I was like, well, that's how I felt. And he's like, then why are you doing it? Hmm. And it was like, you are right. Right. I'm not. Delete. That was painful. It was so painful, actually, just deleting all those. I was like, why am I doing this? It took me another year, listeners, to realize what I actually wanted to be doing. And that was not it. But I'm so glad that that happened because that wouldn't have been anything that I really would have wanted to promote. And I wouldn't have. If it tanked, that would have been the end of it. And I see that being an entrepreneur struggle constantly. They put something out there And it doesn't succeed like they want it to, even if they are madly in love with it. But they just let it go because they think it's never going to get any better. But if I had stopped this podcast after the first episode just because it got, you know, five downloads, thanks, Mom. You know, then that would have been it. But by keeping on going. Yeah. Here I am. Episode 450 talking to Perry Marshall. Thank you.
1: 450 is a lot.
0: Oh, I know. I guess that's a testament to chronic idea disorder. I mean, I've actually gotten to episode 450. my goodness. Yeah. So what are you most excited about in the next 90 days? Well,
1: the biggest project that I've got going right now is, uh, I'll tell you a little story. In 2010, I did a seminar in London, and we did this hot seat workshop, and this couple bought a hot seat and they had a fantasy football business. And so we worked on their business all morning and they had to explain to me what fantasy football was. Cause I didn't know, I mean, I'm a total geek and I'm not really a sports guy. So they explained it to me and then I explained to them why their customers buy and we did a whole bunch of advertising stuff and we worked on their Google, et cetera. Well, Then I went on. Four years later, I get a text from this guy who's helping me run the seminar. And he goes, hey, have you been paying attention? Hey, remember that fantasy football company? He goes, they just raised $200 million on Wall Street. And their commercials are in every single sports bar and ESPN and Monday Night Football. That was FanDuel. And I'm like oh, wow, my goodness, really? And, of course, FanDuel, I think they ended up getting sold to DraftKings or something, and it turned into this huge company. And <laughs> it's like, wow, okay. So, you know, the founder of FanDuel explained to me what fantasy football is, and then I helped him with his marketing, you know. And I realized, well, okay, you really ought to be in the taking equity and companies business instead of thinking that you're just in the seminar business. So I took that very seriously, and I really started changing what we're doing. And I formed a group of very high-level entrepreneurs and CEOs, and we're going through a process for the next year, and it's called Advanced Mastery Network. And I'm, I'm just very excited about it because we are deliberately doing now what used to happen occasionally by accident which is identifying companies that have explosive growth potential and then you know taking pieces of them so that kind of gives you more of a flavor of what i'm about nowadays in contrast to you know what we were doing you know 5 years ago but i'm very excited about that and You know, I really enjoy the company of the people that we attract. You know, I think entrepreneurs, we are all skin in the game people. And we all have a very pragmatic BS detector. And we're all out there doing things in the world. And we're taking risks. And we're in contact with hard reality. Whereas most people really aren't. You know, they're kind of insulated from the world by their job or or whatever. And so there's just a very refreshing sort of truth serum about being an entrepreneur. And I just, I love the company and the community that we create by doing that.
0: I echo everything that you just said.
1: It's great, isn't it?
0: Oh, it's amazing. And I have to tell you that over the last six years, both my mother and my now 12 year old son questioned me when they saw us going through times of struggle do you think it's time to go you know back to a real job Mm -hmm. and I was like no no I know that what I'm doing is going to work and I just have to keep on going at it and it's working now and tomorrow I'm hiring my sister to join me and she's a Cornell graduate who's had like a 15-year like high-powered corporate job Mm. but she's joining me in the company and it feels incredible it's like Okay, mom, look at that.
1: (laughs) Is she a finish ideas person as opposed to a start ideas person? Yes. Well, there you go. That's going to help you.
0: Oh my gosh, yes. I would love your opinion just on one thing. And I apologize. This is not meant to be the pick Perry's brain session. But part of the three pillars of positive productivity are self-care systems and support. And listeners have heard me talking about how I'm growing my support team. And, well, I just need to share with you also that my sister said, I'm excited to work for you. And I said, no, it's not working for me. It's working with me. Mm -hmm. So she got really excited about that. But I was having a discussion with one of my team members this morning. And as entrepreneurs, as time goes on, we do get a little bit cynical and we become more guarded and more protected. But I've, I've also realize that I love hiring people who are new like I'm hiring virtual assistants right now and I don't care that they don't have any experience because I love training them to do things how I want it done when you're looking to add somebody for your business do you have a mix of people with experience and also new people or how do you go about your hiring practices
1: well it depends entirely on why I'm hiring them and what I want them to do you know if If I'm hiring somebody who's going to consult equity clients in my place, then I need somebody who's highly, highly, highly experienced. And, you know, if I'm hiring an entry level person who's going to, you know, do customer service, then I might be perfectly fine with somebody who doesn't really have any experience. It's completely dependent on the situation. And I guess what we're all trying to do is we're trying to manage the risk of what do we get for our money. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously the first person I mentioned is way more expensive than a customer service person who might not even be in the United States. So yeah, it's a context situation.
0: Absolutely. And I know, based on my own studying, and I can't say it's been that extensive, but of the eighty twenty rule, and please correct me if I'm wrong, in any part of your business, 80% of your results come from 20% of your effort.
1: Yeah, it, it's not even just business. It's pretty much every... I mean, we could be... If you go to the beach with a bucket, and you take a bucket of sand. of the sand grains take 80% of the room in the bucket. I mean, it's that ubiquitous. It's everywhere. It's the traffic on the streets in your town. It's the size of cities in in the United Arab Emirates. It's the rabbit populations or the size of craters on the moon or files on your hard drive or how many listens podcasts get or Spotify songs. I mean, 80-20 is just absolutely everywhere. It's a universal law of nature which says that cause and effect are greatly unequal and in fact there's a symmetry Uh, there's always a symmetry where a small percentage of the causes cause a huge number of the effects and a large percent of causes have almost no effect Mm -hmm. and so most people are conditioned by school and what have you to treat everything like it's equal and it is absolutely not equal it is almost hideously unequal. And it's once you start to see it, you won't be able to unsee it. It's everywhere. Probably the most common comment that I get about the 80-20 book, at least from a kind of a hardcore person, is they'll say, "Wow, well, Perry, I read 80-20 sales and marketing, and now I see it everywhere. 8020 is everywhere it's out the window it's in my hard drive it's in my spreadsheets it's in my business it's in my customers like yes 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 see now that you have the 8020 like x-ray goggles then you permanently have this advantage that everybody else doesn't have because really all you have to do in any situation is figure out the 8020s and start working with them in whatever way is appropriate sometimes it's trimming and cutting certain things, or sometimes it's just expanding and reinforcing certain things. And it's a very, very, very powerful tool. And they should teach it in schools. They don't. But all my kids know 80-20. My customers' kids know 80-20. And that's how it should be.
0: You've actually just opened up my eyes further, because I can see right now that 80% of my stress, my client-related stress, comes from not even 20%. Of my clients? Oh, yeah. Well,
1: okay. So the immediate takeaway with that is everybody should be firing at least 3 to 5% of their customers,
0: uh-huh.
1: maybe a lot more. I stood up in front of a room full of CPAs at a CPA conference for accountants, and I said, okay how many of you have a client and they chew up your time and they don't really pay you all that much money and they're high maintenance, and blah, blah, blah. And like all these hands go up and everybody kind of, yeah, yeah. I said, okay. So you guys all got on airplanes and you paid good money to be at the seminar. So, you know, I, Perry Marshall, best-selling author, I bequeath you permission to fire that client. Okay, you don't have to be mean about it. You know, you could just send a nice little letter that says, hey, you know, we've been really reviewing our business from top to bottom. And we realize that we just can't hang on to everybody. And, you know, starting March 1st, we're not going to be handling your account anymore. I'll be happy to hand all of your paperwork over to this other CPA firm. And I, I can help you find another one if you want, you know, and you can write them that kind of letter. And guess what? So your workload just dropped and your gross revenue dropped too, but your net went up because you were making negative money servicing those accounts. You could be servicing somebody else. You could just not be doing anything at all. You could be spending time with your kids or going bowling or whatever, right? And by the way, it's almost inevitable like this happens naturally without anybody trying to do anything you will get so my friend Lynn Bertain he calls it the 2120 rule and here's what that is it says 20% of your clients make 120% of your profits and then this other group of clients loses 20% and gets you down to 100 mhm okay i can so see that And it's almost always true. Like just about any company, any store. So we could be talking about product lines. You go to the grocery store this afternoon. I guarantee you that grocery store is losing money on 10 to 20% of whatever they sell. Like let's say there's 70,000 items in that store. There's 10,000 items that they either shouldn't be selling or they should mark them up twice as expensive. Because they do not, they lose money just having them in the store. They lose money, okay? Same is true with customers. Same is true with vendors. Same is true with employees. Okay, so customers, vendors, employees, right there. What if you get rid of the money losing 10% of products, money losing 10% of employees many losing 10% of vendors many losing 10% of customers your business is going to be way more profitable by subtraction
0: oh my gosh like you're blowing my mind for listeners i'll just give an example like one client that i'm thinking of takes i mean It shouldn't even be like 5% of my time ends up taking 80% of my time, which was supposed to be delegated towards other clients. Mm -hmm. So those clients are having to wait and they're not as happy in the long run. Yep. Just like what you were saying, it's subtracting that 20%. Whereas if they were happy, they would be out there sharing my name to other people.
1: Right. So you have to to get rid of that one.
0: Client. And like, not only do I have time to take care of the client's Sometimes I feel like I'm being prevented from under-promising and over-delivering because of that 20% right there. Yeah. But now I can under-promise, over-deliver, and still have time left for my family at the end of the day. Yes. Bang! Wow.
1: So if you apply the twenty-one twenty rule, here's a probably a pretty safe way to do it. 5% of your customers, 5% of your products... 5% of your vendors, 5% of your employees, get rid of them. And your business will probably be 50% more profitable.
0: Oh, I'm so excited. Like, I'm ready to jump into what I have and just see what I can get rid of. Like, I've never been so excited to take the axe.
1: Now, subtracting is surgery, and it is delicate. It is. Okay, so let's talk about employees. Like if I say, okay, who's that one employee that you know you need to get rid of? Most people are like, yeah, I know who it is. But mm-hmm. you've been avoiding it and yep. you've been trying to fix it and you've been hoping it'll go away and the employee secretly sort of knows this too and they're kind of wondering when the ax is going to fall but it keeps not falling. But they don't really have the mojo to go, You know, quit and go find another job or something like that. And so you're both just kind of a leech on each other, right? And you have to do this. And now, so you get rid of somebody. Sometimes it's as simple as firing them. Sometimes that's the case. But you know, sometimes you have a more complicated dynamic in your workplace. Like there's a few things you got to do first, or you've got to document six things. And get it all in their employee file before you can do all that. Or there's this one project, pretty much have to finish it before you can get rid of it. You know, there's all these little complicated things that happen. Nevertheless, do it. Okay? Just get it done. And it'll, it'll so lighten your load. You know, Now, most companies get forced to do this sooner or later because there's a downturn of whatever variety. And then they have to. And when you're forced to do this, well, it's even less fun. But you always learn as well, if I really carefully, like, do the surgery and make the cuts, and I take the appendix out and I sew all the other organs back in place like they're supposed to, oh my goodness, like, this is such a lighter load. Like, I trimmed my staff two years ago, and I did not enjoy it for a single minute while I was doing it. Finally... When I had lowered the headcount and we got more efficient and then, you know, it always takes a couple months for expenses to catch up, right? Because you got to pay severance or, you know, right. these different things like that. Then all of a sudden it's like, oh my goodness, this ship is so much lighter and more maneuverable than it was when I had these extra team members that I thought I needed, but I didn't really need.
0: Yeah. And micromanaging and constant follow-up is very heavy.
1: <laughs> yeah exactly
0: yeah like <laughs> actually i'm going through that right now too like i'm over here thinking is perry like in my brain because there is that one and i actually hired the replacement last night
1: oh, well there you go
0: so the by the time this episode airs that transition will have happened but well before the episode airs but i'm like whoa i see it now
1: well, you have to just kind of take it on faith at first. You have to yeah. take it on faith that eighty twenty really is like this and it really is true. And you just start with the presumption of, okay, I'm not certain that Perry's little twenty one twenty rule is true, but I think it's true. Take it on faith and press forward and you will find out absolutely it is true and it's liberating. And the beautiful thing about it is Because it's invisible to most people, most people never really get there. So you have an advantage because you know something they don't. And that's a beautiful thing.
0: Listeners, I want to invite you to share the ahas that you have experienced during this episode in the comments area below the show notes at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP450. I'm really looking forward to reading them because I know that if I'm going through this, that you're going through this too. So, yeah, please come on over and share your aha moments. Perry, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. And like just on my behalf, I was actually in my own mastermind group last night, and there's a whole bunch of podcasters in it. And we were actually saying that sometimes we feel like our podcasts are not meant for our audience because we gain so much off of them. (laughs) And this is like another one of those episodes for me where I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. Yep, I'm like ready to go into my mastermind group and say, You gotta listen to this and go do it. So thank you so much. Where can listeners learn more about you, connect with you, buy your books and all that great stuff online?
1: You can go to Perrymarshall.com and if you click on the eighty twenty link, we sell eighty twenty sales and marketing for seven dollars, including shipping. Now you can buy it on Amazon for eighteen if you want, but we actually give you a few more goodies with the book than you get on Amazon if you buy it on my website and it'll change the way you see everything. You'll never see the world the same way again. You'll never make decisions the same way again. You'll eliminate a lot of wasted effort and you'll free up your time and you'll make more money in the process. So I really encourage you to do that.
0: I'm buying two copies, one for my husband's boss because he could use it too.
1: (laughs) Excellent. Well, yeah. Well, Kim, thank you for having me.
0: Thank you so much again for joining us. Do you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you can offer to listeners?
1: Well, I told you to bookmark a story, and I, there's this little story that I think you'll appreciate. 15 years ago, it was a Friday, and I had just read Richard Kosh's 8020 book, and I had realized hey, wait a minute. There is a math formula behind eighty twenty, which is now part of my book. I have some online tools. It helps you make crazy accurate predictions about how you you do pricing and stuff. I was like, "Hey, there's the formula here. How do I solve this math problem?" And I was stuck on it. I couldn't solve it, and I was obsessing about it all day long. And then the the other thing that happened was a few days before that, I had had a caveman discovers fire moment in my business and I had done some and made a bunch of money and I was thinking wow that's crazy how did I just do that I wonder if I could use my business to help this little project in Mozambique that my brother-in-law is working on and so all day long I was obsessing about calculus in Mozambique okay (laughs) as one does I guess and Well, there was this music thing at church, and my wife said, hey, I'll watch the kids go to the music thing. And so I go there, and they're playing this kind of Pink Floyd sort of music, and I'm just, I'm in la-la land, and I'm thinking about calculus, and I'm thinking about Mozambique. And all of a sudden, I look up, and this woman is making a beeline for me, and she goes, walks up, and she shakes my hand. She goes, hi, my name is Vivian, and the Lord gave me a word for you. And I just stare at her like, oh, my goodness, I've heard of this kind of stuff. I've never seen it before. So what's going to happen now? And she goes, the Lord told me that you're very, very good at math and you're working on some kind of formula, some kind of equation or some kind of invention. And you're going to figure it out. You just got to keep working on it. You're going to figure it out. And I look around like, how many people in this room are working on a math problem right now on a Friday night? listening to music and I'm like only one and she turns to walk away and then she spins around and she goes oh and he told me something else too you want to support missions and God is going to bless your business so you can support missions and now she really got me and I just stared at her and I was almost on the edge of tears and all I could manage to say finally I just looked at her I said if only you knew. And she sticks her finger in the air and she goes, he knows. And she just walks away. Just like that. And I'm standing there. I'm like, doggone it. That was like a memo from the head office. My goodness. Did that just happen? Did that really happen? Yeah, that man, that really happened. Well, three years later, I figured out the math formula. And it is the backbone of eighty twenty sales and marketing. We have a tool. There's a Website uh, that goes along with the book, and you can figure out all this cool stuff using this tool. So I figured that out. The other thing was my business later that year just started taking off. And it grew and it grew. It probably grew four or five hundred percent. A couple years later, I went back and looked, and I, I discovered that three days before that happened, I had gotten an email from this guy who ran an internet seminar. And he said, who should I get to speak at my seminar in Google AdWords? And I gave him a name of a guy. And he says, well, that guy turned me down. I think you should speak at Google AdWords at my seminar. And so that's how I got into the Google AdWords business. And like, yes, like my business grew hugely. And that was the first time I had had a personal encounter where a person with what I would describe as a prophetic gift opened a door for me and kind of gave me a nudge in the right direction. And, you know, and said, Hey, you know, you're working on something really important there. Like, sometimes we don't know what's important. And sometimes we need an angel, if you will, or, you know, somebody to show up and kind of tell us. And so that story is in the back of my 80, 20 book, and I tell it all the time. And so I just want to encourage you. You know, there's a scripture that says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously. And it's true. So I just want to leave you with that story.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level.